When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Today on the podcast, we have a special guest, man, um... He's someone that I never got to really build a personal relationship with, but I always envied him and looked up to him from afar. He has his own podcast called Unnatural Born Leader. He is a fitness instructor, a former D1 athlete at the University of Rhode Island. He's an advocate for personal development and mental health. And my friend Jose Duncan, man, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ivory. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. How you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm good. Although with everything going on, it's every day's a bit of a challenge so far, but I'm okay. I'm alive. I'm breathing things a while. Just it's happy to be here. It's definitely a task of just trying to stay productive during this coronavirus stuff, but uh Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is it truly is, man. But um we we can work and take it day by day, so it's all right. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Um so I just wanna say I remember the first um game of my freshman year. And I remember being in the locker room, getting ready to come out in front of thousands and thousands of fans. And like I could hear the crowd noise from the locker room. And uh, we're in there. And I remember you call us up as a team. At the time, you were playing defensive end and you were, you were the senior captain. I'm just a freshman. I'm a young pup. Yeah. But you <laughs> call us over. And I remember you giving a speech. And to this day, I don't really remember what you were saying. But I do remember your emotions when you were giving that speech. And I remember seeing you cry a little bit and like the game meant so much to you crying. And honestly, it made me tear up a little bit. And still to this day, like that was probably, you know, the best pregame speech I ever heard. And I don't even remember a thing. It was all based off emotion and um, like your heart. And I I really felt that. And so I just want to say, like, even to this day, I remember that. And that definitely made an impact on me. I appreciate that, man. Um. Truth be told, is is kind of an odd thing. I actually cry before every football game. I've if I think back to even um, Pop Warner days, even high school days, where you know playing in football games, whether big or small games, I actually found somehow I shed tears before every game, and many games after I shed tears after the game. But uh, thinking back to that speech, I actually don't know the details of it myself. And I, to be, to say I, I'm a few concussions behind. So, but to say I remember yeah. that verbatim is hard, but um, when I do speak, especially in team settings and I, and I hope I spoke from the heart, I usually always speak from the heart. Uh, the game of football means so much to me that if I ever speak about it, 
and um, talk to other people about it, that I do it passionately. I'm glad it left an impact on you. And then uh, playing with you guys definitely left a huge impact on me. So I really appreciate that uh, you brought that up. Yeah, man, that, that was just seeing that really just like to see another person like view football similar to the way I viewed it was just like, yo, man, I look up to this dude. But I, I want to get into your story. So, like, I know you got your own podcast now. You're a fitness instructor. You know, you're trying to, um, you know, work on content to try to motivate people and inspire people to be the better version of themselves. I basically want to know, like, how you got to this point to where you're at right now. So if you wouldn't mind, just tell me a little bit about where you're from and kind of like paint that picture of like the environment you were raised in. Okay. Um, I'm a city boy. I'm from New York City, inner cities of New York City. Yeah. Uh, born in Brooklyn, New York. Lived in Brooklyn for about nine years. Um, you know, when I was younger, I was much of a class clown, you can say. Always uh, kind of just required the attention of my teachers and other students. And I started off as a class clown, pretty much not listening to teachers, which kind of hindered my education as a young kid. Yeah. Um, and then I found, you know, one day, you know, I got in trouble at school, had to leave school and I was walking back home. I used to live in Rohook, Brooklyn. We used to live near a, a park and things like that. So, okay. um, I know I'm in trouble. I'm walking home in my mind. I know I'm, I'm in big trouble with my dad and, I come across this park and I see a bunch of kids in football helmets and football pads running around, hitting each other and just having fun. And um, I stop at the gate to take a look. And, you know, and then, you know, that that night as I got disciplined with my parents, I, I, I told my dad, like I saw kids playing football at Red Hook Park in Brooklyn. Yeah. And uh, he took me that weekend, that Saturday. I remember it like it was yesterday. He took me and my brother to try out for the team to see what it was about. I was, I was eight years old. We went down there, tried out for the team. And, um, you know, long story short, I began, that's when I began my football career. Um, I wasn't that good. And still think till this day, I was never a good, a great player. Yeah. Uh, something that's got me through the years of football, especially with, uh, Pop Warner high school, even college and even getting a chance to play professionally is, uh, I believe in hard work. I believe in discipline. I believe in prioritizing the game and doing what's necessary to get myself to the next level. Um, so I never, ever thought I was talented. Never, ever think I was actually a player who possessed actual talent for the game, despite other people's opinions. But uh, my journey through football became at a, uh, began at a very, very young age at eight and uh, it stopped at 24. But it was, it's been a journey. And then through it all, I, I just have a special love for the game. I think it saved my life. Uh, it definitely got me through some tough times and keeping away from, you know, following the wrong crowds and things like that. But yeah. it's, I could talk about it all day, but the, the yeah. football saved my life. And um, I try to live every day. I live my life now with the knowledge and the things I got from the game of football. So yeah. I want to get back to that. Um, you talking about work ethic, because it's funny how people who don't play football, they kind of think that like, if you are a college athlete or you playing professional, that you were just born a great football player. And they kind of neglect the fact that, you know, a lot of it is we have to work at it. You know, it's a lot of technique and it's a lot of, you know, just spending time on your craft. And, you know, like myself, I don't think I was born with like um, any natural gifts to, you know, jump or be fast. You know, I was I was blessed with height. But other than that, you know, I was a clumsy I was a clumsy kid growing up. <laughs> and with that being said, like I had to work. I always knew I had to work harder than everybody else because I wasn't as athletic. 
And so I definitely see how, you know, work ethic can can take you far and take you maybe even further than talent itself. But um, so did you did you feel like football was kind of like an outlet for you to like stop being that class clown? Or like, were you still kind of acting out in the classroom a little bit? Or did that temper out when you started playing football? Well, fo- football is special because there there is a lot of exceptional football players out there yeah. who are very talented, and they always I've I've envied them my entire life. But football became outlet not to stop being a, the kid I was. I I would continue to be a class clown and struggled in school and things like that. So that continued. But fo- what football did was give me somewhere to go, gave me something to be a part of. Um, as a young kid in New York City, uh, it's a lot of influence to get into the wrong crowds. It's, it's very easy sure. to follow the wrong people because uh, they're all around you in, in school and at home and your parents giving you freedom to go play outside or you have to kind of figure it out on your own. But what football gave me was a place to be a place to have fun. And it gave me an outlet to uh, just not be around the wrong crowd. I think that was huge. Not being around uh, the wrong set of people. And it was a way for me to be part of something much bigger than myself. And, and that's what ultimately saved my life. Me being part of something. I had a title. I had a purpose. I was, Mm -hmm. I was belonging to something. And that's as human beings, I think we all uh, love that feeling of belonging to something, to someone. So sure. what football gave me was something to belong to. For sure. Was, um, did you have any other early ambitions and goals besides football? Was like football kind of just like that was that was it when you were a young child? Like that was my everything. Man, it was. Um it's funny because you hear a lot of stories about guys who've been, you know, they have dreams. They wrote it on a piece of paper in elementary school. And and it, I, I hear stories like that. I'm like, damn, that's remarkable. I think that's very powerful, that kind of intuition at a young age. But for me, no, man, I was just I was a kid who was just always in the moment, always in the next 24 hours of my life. And uh, I found football and I would just indulge myself in it. Anything that um, football had to do with football. I indulged myself all the way in a hundred percent in and kind of got lost in it, lost in it anyway. And it's funny because years passed and I was still playing it. It was always like, you know, having that yeah. thing to get ready for each summer. Then you play in the fall, then you get ready in the winter, then you get summer camp. Then it kind of it constantly consumed my life, the game of football. So I never really had the time to even create other ambitions or other goals or other things to do. I played basketball, but football really was the thing that took my entire time. And I'm I'm grateful for that. Definitely. Did um did you always have like this type of this type of, you know, like go getter, you know, like humble but work ethic mentality when you were younger? Or is that something you had to like develop throughout your throughout your life? Good question, man. I mean the go I'm definitely humble yeah. humble because my parents were humble people. Um you know, a lot of times we don't talk about how our parents impact us. Well, our parents are very humble, um, humble, resilient people who never really complained or showed uh, any type of weakness or frustration with how life was going. They were rather the most humble people who went to work, did what they did, uh, supplied us with what we needed. And I lived with my dad and my stepmom for many years and they were just humble, humble workers. They never... Uh, really complained. So I get, I guess that humbleness, I, 
I got from my parents because they were very resilient. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the go-getter part about me was just just wanting to be something. I I didn't want to be nothing. So um, it might have been a pride thing, ego thing. I just didn't want to be nothing, be no one. So I always felt like it was necessary for me to work hard to represent something or somebody else. So it's definitely come with time. I was not born with anything. Everything comes with time. And and um, it's definitely starting to manifest a little bit more as an adult. Yeah, I feel that. Do um, you have your podcast now? It's called Unnatural Born Leader. Like, did you, did you feel like, are you a natural born leader or do you feel like that was something you had to develop as well? <laughs> it's funny because, I don't know, even creating that title was... Um, Took some time. I was I've I've had the idea for the podcast March of 2019, and I didn't air the podcast until early October of 2019. So you can imagine that months and months of time contemplating the episodes and the podcast. But um, I've been referred to as a naturally born leader, having natural leadership qualities. Um, but also been told by someone, you know, a coach in the past that I was. I had an influence, but I was a poor leader. Um, even in college, my freshman year, my coach, the defensive coordinator, Pete Rexis, I'm sure you know him, right? We we sat down one day and um, he said, you know, give me a lot of compliments as a teammate, as a player, someone who influenced your teammates. But he said, you know, Jose, you're just, you're just a negative leader. You're just a poor leader right now. Mm-hmm. And that would that memory was sparked me in believing that there is an effective way to lead and there is an effective way. So learning how to effectively lead, I didn't have that yet. So that's how I came up with the uh, name for the podcast, Unnatural Born Leader. The first name was going to be called The Leadership Perspective, but The Unnatural Born Leader felt more real to me because it was the becoming that I was fascinated about. Yeah. So it's not something you really think that you're just naturally good at. It's most likely tell me you got to develop. Absolutely, man. I'm not even, I'm nowhere near polished. If this was a percentage chart, I think I'm below 1% of the kind of leader I can be. Leadership is a sacrifice to a commitment that a lot of people aren't ready for. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm not even, you know, I'm still working on it. So going back to a little bit like of you growing up, um, like going to, you went to high school in New York, Jose? Yeah, I did. I did. Went to Rasmus Hall in Brooklyn. Shout out to those guys. What was what was going going to high school like in New York? And like, what was that experience for you as Jose Duncan going through high school? Rough, man. I wasn't like everybody else. <laughs> um, it was rough. I actually, the high school I went to was in Brooklyn. Uh, at that time, I was living in Queens, so I had one of the longest commutes out of anyone on my team. Going to high school in Rasmus Hall was was rough. I didn't get bullied or anything like that, but it, you definitely knew knew you were an outsider in a way. Uh, which meant you didn't live in the in the nearby areas. You didn't hang out with these guys. You didn't play pop Warner with these guys. So they don't really know you have to earn your respect. Going to high school in New York City is tough. Like I said before, there's a lot of influence and negative influence to get into. I've gotten to a lot of fights in high school, uh, a lot of trouble in high school as well. But I've had great leaders and mentors in my life that made me hold on to the game of football, which kind of ultimately pulled me out of that. But high school was tough, man. I don't know anyone who says high school was easy, but it was tough. What, um, like, how did that, how did your environment, you know, trying to fit in and stuff like that and all the the outside, um, like negative 
negative impacts that could possibly like impact your life? Like how did that, how did it affect your academics and ultimately like you playing football in high school? Yeah. That environment, Rasmus Hall is, it's a, it's a top security school. What I mean, what I mean by that is that, you know, it has metal detectors. Yeah. Yeah. It's (laughs) school enforcement at the gate. You couldn't even get your cell phone in school. So it was, was, yeah, it was, it was that tight of an environment. Um, and I guess that environment created a sense of insecurity for a lot of us, which led me into getting a lot of fights. I think a lot of my fights was because I was not like everyone else. And I had an ego that told people that I wasn't not like them, you know? Did you feel like you, did you feel like you had to fight or was it just something that you, you just liked doing or is it just something you just felt like you had to? (laughs) I love contact. Yeah. Let's start with that. I love football. I love contact. But as far as fighting in high school, I, I didn't really enjoy it, but it was, I just had a pride thing about me. And I, I get it from my dad. It's just, I want you to know that you're not going to punk me and I'm going to, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm a true believer in, in, in standing up for what you believe mm-hmm. in. And I didn't want people to think that I was soft that they could walk all over me. So um, in many ways, I felt like I was defending myself. Yeah. I needed to defend who I was. And, and uh, you know, I had a rage about me that allowed me to actually get into those fights. And, you know, I don't regret those things now, it, but I do believe that those could have been handled differently because it really affected my academics yeah. and my performance in school. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Other other than being like an outsider to the area, like what else made you different mentally compared to the other kids in your high school? Well, I was raised oddly where my, you know, I didn't really value some of the things other kids value. And, and, and I know I'm not speaking for every kid in school. Okay. I didn't value, you know, some of the materialistic things that kids in my school valued um, simply because I couldn't afford it. My parents couldn't afford it. It wasn't something that, I was looking forward to getting or having, uh, although times I've envied those people for having it. I just had different value systems through my parents and I knew I was an outsider because the things I was after was very different than people where people were after. People were wearing nice jeans, nice clothing. They had nice, at that time, some people had nice cars, nice phones, nice watches and things like that. And, um, I knew I was outside because I didn't value those things. You know, I didn't, I wasn't always the, the most upkept person. I said oddly weird things. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was, you could just know. You said, you said oddly it, weird someone, things. Yeah. I was just, I was kind of a free spirit, okay. a funny, goofy guy. Okay. And I didn't, I had insecurities, but it wasn't like I wasn't, I was afraid of those insecurities. I kind of was just an odd kid with different value system. You were just different. That's all it was. Yeah. It's good to be different, yeah. man. It's it's a good thing when you don't fit in. It's during the time, it's like, oh, why am I like this? Why am I different? But when you look back at it, it's like, it's a blessing that I wasn't like everybody else. Significantly. That's awesome. Um, So you played football throughout high school. What type of football player were you in high school? You got to expand on that question. Like what, what type of player were you a a D one caliber? Were you like, did you even think that college football was an option for you? Okay. Good. Okay. Man, I was, how do I answer that? I was a floater. I would say, um, and what I mean by that is I I spoke about it previously. 
I was just always in the moment. Yeah. I didn't really have, you couldn't, you asked me, what's my dream? I couldn't tell you. Even today, mm. I couldn't tell you what my dream is. That's crazy to um, me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. I look at my, like me throughout high school, I was always like, you know, college ball, college ball. Like that was constantly on my mind. Like that was what I think about all the time. Like this is where I got to get. And it's the right thing to think about. You you had your head on right. Yeah. You had to, yeah. you had your head on a lot better than I probably did. Uh, <laughs> man, truthfully, man, it was just kind of like I was always thinking about the next 24. I just wanted to go practice and play again. It mm. was very recreational to me. And I didn't want to be in the house and, you know, I didn't I didn't have the dreams and I didn't have when I went into high school, yeah, college ball was in the back of my mind because I wanted to be somebody. But I was so caught up in the day to day that, you know, dreams and you t- asking me what my goals were. There weren't any. I just wanted to be the best I can be. I just wanted to push my potential. I don't know how good I wanted, to, how I could good I could have been in high school, um, but I did want to play with the best competition. Yeah. So Erasmus Hall was not my high school near my house. I actually, my high school near my home was about 20 minutes. Erasmus Hall was about an hour and 10 minute commute every day. Oh, wow. And it was because I wanted to be around the best players. I wanted to be around good players, people who are now in the NFL and doing well for themselves. Those are the kind of players I played with. And when I say I was a floater, it's because I was just, I was just there. I was one of the guys. I was always committed to the team. I just wanted to be around that atmosphere, and which ultimately made me a you know someone who led, became captains on those teams wow. and things like that. But it was never a, I was never a D one caliber kid, and I and I would never say I had D one caliber talent. But I did play with some guys who definitely were, and hence why they're playing it professionally now. Okay, so so then when did you have that realization that it was like okay, like college ball is happening, like this is. Like, I can see it. Like, this is about to happen. Well, my coach told me to get my grades better, man. I, up to my senior year, I wasn't, you know, college coaches would come to the field, will come to the field or will come to the school to, to talk to me, pull me out of class and talk to me. Um, and that's because I was just, you know, I did, I was a baller in New York City. I, I do, I am modest, but I, you know, I did win all conference, all city uh, votes. I was an all-star in New York City, yeah. two-time defensive player of the year and in New York City PSAL. But uh, for me, it wasn't, it was never about that. So when the kid, when the coaches came up to talk to me and I kind of was just, you know, geeked up about it, but uh, my grades at the time were horrendous. <laughs> yeah, I tested that. Which didn't get, Right. <laughs> a lot of us in the kids in the city kids definitely deal with the same. Um, so I wasn't eligible for to, you know, Clarence House and things like that. So I didn't I didn't know I was going to be a college kid. Yeah. And not until not until D1, actually, not until I actually came up on my official visit. A lot of people don't know the story of my official visit uh, with the University of Rhode Island, which which I became a division one athlete. I was never. Um, there was never an aha moment. I'm going D1. It was only until that after the official visit that did that door really open up for me. Mm. Wow. I always, Jose, I always tell the story about up until my junior year. My junior year, uh, uh, a coach came in, a Villanova coach came in. And he was like, yo, I, I really want you, but I just can't recruit you, man. You got a 1.7 GPA. <laughs> but I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna I'm talk to you. He said, "I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna talk to you like a like a man to man." I can't recruit you, but I'm gonna yeah. tell you this: like, if you want to go to college, you have to pick your shit up. Plain and simple. Yeah, no doubt. Like, I'm not gonna recruit you, but this is what I'm telling you: if you want to play in college, you got to pick your grades up. 
And I always tell that story because like the next day I was like, yo, I'm on my shit. Like I had to get, yeah. I had to get like A's and B's. I could only get like two B's. The rest had to be A's in order to get a 2.3. <laughs> when, wow. when, yeah, when Coach Confessor came and recruited me, he was, I had a 2.3, 2.34 or something like that. And I was just eligible, but it like, it really took a wake up call for me. So what was that? What was that wake up call for you to like, let me set my, my stuff up in, in the classroom. Well, to to comment on your GPA, that 2.3 is right there with Clearinghouse. So congratulations on that, brother. That's I know that to the back of my mind, that 2.3 with that 800 SAT is right there for Clearinghouse. So <laughs> good job on that. Um, for me, that wake up moment was I was scared, man. You know, I, I bring back to the story of not wanting to be nobody. And in in my senior year, I was smelling that. I was smelling some of that, you know, local kid stays home. And I was I was frightened of that. I don't know why I was frightened of that. I just I was scared, man. And and what happened, my back was against the wall at that time. So with the help of my coach and teachers, I started to lock in on school a little bit more, man. You know, I started that's my first year. I started getting a job. I was really focused my in the second semester of my senior year because I was frightened, man. And I, and I knew I wanted to be somebody. And I knew if I kept going down this path academically, I couldn't, I would have never been someone. Yeah. So truth be told, it was fear. Yeah. Fear got me to have that aha moment. And just like you, where someone sit down and talk to you and you got your stuff together, however it works, man. But for me, it was, it was true. It was fear of being nobody. Yeah. That got me to college. What would you What would you say to like a, a high schooler right now who wants to play college ball, and they're just their grades are just down the drain, and they're not even they're not even thinking straight? What would you say to that kid who who needs to pick up his grades? Hmm. I would tell that kid that I would ask them simply the simplest question: What's the alternative? Yeah. I would tell that college. I would tell that high school kid. I would sit them down and tell them. Here's where you are, because I think self-awareness and honesty is a huge step. So here's where you are academically. Here's where you can't go. This is what you this is what you've done. This is your choice. What's the alternative? Mm-hmm. Is there alternative? You go to community college. That kid really wants to be a division one or a college world player. I would tell him that there is no way around being the other person that that person, that kid would have to be. So just presenting them with alternative and then eliminating one of those alternative usually helps put kids on the right track, giving them no option, but to go That's forward. That's crazy. That's really what it comes down to. It's like the kids who are like, I wouldn't say all the kids, but a, a large majority of kids who are, who are failing out of classes is they have other alternatives and the kids without the other alternatives is they're the ones going full at it. They got no other option. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we're all here. You, I know you hear a lot about teammates. You, they probably have the same story. It's, our communities or our, our options were very limited in a way. And that, that, you know, playing football was the opportunity. And I'm sure you can attest to it, how many doors football actually opened up in your it's life. The you know? reason why I'm doing this podcast, man, if I didn't play college ball, I probably wouldn't be doing this. Yep. Do you think that <clears throat> like academics, especially like academics in high school specifically, should be a, a prerequisite to playing college ball? I have a gray area about that. I live my life in a gray area. 
and whatever side of whatever side of the gray area I'm on, I don't yes. mind. So the gray area I have about that is that I don't specifically think that academics verbatim should determine if kids get a chance to go to college or not. But I do think them performing and showing that they're capable of of being attentive, detail oriented, doing what they have to do, committing themselves to their education as well as athletics is a good attest to what that kid will be like later on. Um, Do I think verbatim that academics directly determine this kid's success? No, especially not at the high school level, but I do think them showing that ability to commit to these two things in order to get further in life, I think that's a good attest to what that kid would turn out later in his life. Because at some point, you and I both, right, had to commit to our academics somewhat, even if it's a little bit, just to get the opportunities we had. So it is no way around it. Um, So it's definitely a part of it, especially if you're an athlete. For sure, for sure. It comes down to discipline, basically, right? Following directions. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as simple as it yeah. gets. Um, so your senior year in high school, did you commit to Rhode Island uh, at the end of your senior year or was it kind of like midway beginning of senior year? Well, that's the funny story, man. I didn't, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I had, off, I had offers to schools, but, uh, um, the opportunity to go to Rhode Island didn't happen to literally after the, uh, my official visit. So, I was at an award show and my head coach was on the phone with Jim Fleming, head coach yeah. at Rhode Island. And he said, you know, I got this kid, Jose, if you don't, you know, if he can't get up there for a visit, I don't think I'm going to give you, I'm, I don't think I'm going to allow you to recruit this part of New York City again. Because my head coach had a lot yeah, of school that's in crazy. New York City. You just sound like the man. Yeah, he is the man, man. If if we ever talk about the pipeline we created into Ohio State yeah. and things like that, he does his thing. And a lot of kids are going to college now from okay. that school. So Coach Fleming said, you know, bring him up. You know, I don't have a full scholarship to offer this kid, but you can go ahead and bring him up to Rhode Island. So, you know, that the next day I was on an Amtrak train up to Kingston, Rhode Island. Um, I got to Kingston, Rhode Island, met the coach. And the whole time on that train, I'm doing the most research I can about this man, this this head coach, Jim Fleming. I'm researching his past, his his accomplishments, his history, his reports, his news. I'm ne- I'm knowing everything I need to know about this man. Wow. Because I know if I get in front of him, I need to impress this man so much. That that BS he was talking about on the phone with the half scholarship was no longer a thing. Yeah. Uh, so during that official visit, I was able to impress the coach so much with, you know, charisma, talk to the coach, leadership, just being a presence in a way. Um, and you could ask him about the story too, being a president presence in any way. And that Sunday before I went home, man, he you know he's he offered me a full scholarship right there at the table at, at the hotel, and I and I took it right away, man. It was the it was all I needed. Yeah. All I ever think or thought I needed was an opportunity. He gave me that opportunity, but I had to earn it, man. I didn't get my full scholarship until the day of the, of the end of the official visit. So, Jose, I want to get back to that. So you said, you know, you're preparing yourself to meet this coach because he gave you a half scholarship and you wanted you wanted all of it. You wanted to go to school for free. Yeah, he didn't he didn't give it to me. He he said that's the option. That's the only option that was on the table uh, before I came for the visit. So my coach made me go for the visit pending hopefully coming back with a half scholarship so basically it was like an interview like how did you how were you able to present yourself in a way that that was gonna be able to like get you that scholarship 
fear of being a nobody. Yeah. <laughs> That's and I keep coming back to that, not because it's a negative thing, but I believe that fear of this different types of fear. There's a fear of doing something, mm-hmm. and then there's a fear of who you will be if you don't do something. Okay. And I think those two fears has been a thing in my life, but yeah. the fear of who I will be if I don't do something was a larger fear. So I was able to go in there and just and just you know be a leader. I, you know, I talk about being a leader. I was you know I was a captain on every team I ever been on in my entire life, yeah. and I was a captain in high school as well. So I just went in there with that energy and that that you know being being able to own the space in a way. I, I went in there right away. I met, walked up to Coach Fleming and said, "Hey, I'm Jose Duncan. I'm from New York. I had the pitch ready. I had the the elevated pitch ready." I said, I, I, I've I've heard a lot about you. I read a lot about you. Hope your wife and your son are doing well. I saw the, saw the work you did at um, at Sacred Heart. I saw the work you did at UCF, man. You, you're a great coach, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Wow. And just doing my research, and then I went to Coach Confessor, then I went to Coach Coniglio, and, and I had something to say to everyone, and then I introduced myself to every single player there, even talked to the parents at somewhat. It was just – I had great mentors in high school and great coaches – who told me to have a presence about me hmm. that, you know, I had the Tim's on the boots on so I could look taller, but it was, it's just, it was truthfully, it was just about presence being able to go in there and, and try to own the space. It sounded like you just seized the opportunity and you was ready for the opportunity. Yeah, man. And, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't have options. I didn't have any other options. It was either I get this scholarship or I'm in, you know, community college and, and that's my route. It, there was no options. Yeah. And I want to make that clear that I had to go in there and earn something. And uh, and ultimately, I earned a full scholarship and I was blessed with that opportunity. And I gave University of Rhode Island four years of everything I got. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about um, fear a little bit. I want to talk about it at the end, but you talked about it and you've been bringing it up. So I want to get into it. So I remember listening to um, a podcast about... Um, it was basically it was Mike Tyson's podcast, I believe. And he was talking about fear. And, you know, until that point, I was looking at fear as like a bad thing. Right. But Mike Tyson was basically explaining like fear is the driving factor to make us do incredible things. You know what I'm saying? It's it's fear is what's driving the, the deer to jump 50 feet to get away from the lion. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> wow. So do you yeah. do you believe that fear is kind of like a good thing or like what's your view, views on fear? In some cases, fear can be taught so t- told to be not real, right? Um, yeah. A lot of I always say that fear is a uh, fear. The acronym is a uh, false evidence appearing real. There we go. Right, mm-hmm. false evidence appearing. That, I was just going to reference something of a sort, but yeah. you got it right on the head. False evidence appearing real. Um, and a lot of psychologists, this is the nerd talk about me. Study when you study this fear and. Um, how people use it, I think fear is essentially based on how we use it. Fear is something that can hinder someone's success, but fear is also something that can put someone's back against the wall and make them do something incredible. Hmm. So I think it's all about how you channel fear and use it, uh, but I don't think you'll learn how to correctly use fear if you don't incorrectly use it at some point in your life. And mm. and I know a lot of people, even my me myself, I've used fear so incorrectly and it's kind of hindered some opportunities. But that other side of fear that creates action 
is the yeah. good part of fear. And I think uh, however you channel that fear, it doesn't have to be fear, but if it is fear, something has to follow that action, yeah. right? The great motivational speaker, Eric Thompson said, you know, you're already here. You're already hurting. Why not get something out of it? So that's the same thing concept with fear. You're already fearful of this thing. Why not get something out of that fear? Wow. Yeah, I agree. So fear got to be followed with some type of action. It, that's the only way fear is it works. Yeah. Fear, it, fear is a uh, very negative when there's no action to follow it. Yeah. When there's lack of action, then it's, yeah. it's, it's the wrong kind of fear. When it's a lack of action, it's kind of just like crippling in a way. Yes. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to your story. So you said you're at the university, you got that scholarship, you know, after leaving with Coach Flum. What was your, you know, once you're enrolled in the university, like what was your mentality, you know, getting ready for the school year to start? That first, your freshman year, like what was your mentality, your mind state like? How are you feeling about this whole college experience? It's funny because I talk about not being talented and not and being every day to day and not having dreams and goals. But my freshman year, I just wanted to be a beast. I wanted to be the guy. I wanted to be that 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 freshman that came in and was able to get on the field mm-hmm. right away. I felt that I was preparing myself that offseason to go into Rhode Island and, and be one of the best freshmen in my class. And ultimately, I turned out to be. But my mentality was very very focused in a way and you know even talk on my freshman year I don't know if you have heard stories about who I was as a freshman but I was very passionate as a freshman I you know I was very focused and I was able to get my first start as a freshman and play the rest of the season but I was very passionate and focused about the game and hard work was like a bare minimum requirement for me at that time hard work wasn't something that was optional for me um and I was very focused as a freshman. I had fun. It was a great time, but I really prioritized the game of football like I've never prioritized anything else in my life that freshman year. How did you how did you like have those blinders up to just stay focused on football with, you know, all the distractions of college? I don't it's hard to say why how what what caused me to be so focused. It was I don't want to say fear again, but it was just it was truly this concept of not wanting to disappoint my parents or be someone who's disappointing people who got me here. I didn't want to disappoint my coach who lobbied for me to get into this university in the first place. So that blindness was simply because I didn't, I didn't value the things that everyone, most people valued. And I I go back to that as a young kid, I was just very different, not in a glorified way. I was just a very different kid. I didn't have a lot in common with people. That I, that I, that it seemed to be at the time, so I had to I had to turn to something. So football was that thing. I, I wasn't a cool kid. I was only the cool kid when it was coming to football. So I was uh, very focused in that way. I didn't have a lot of options. Yeah, it sounds like just from hearing you talk for these, you know, thirty eight minutes, it sounds like you are super self aware. Like you're able to check yourself real quick. Is that something that you've been conscious about? Yes, because my yeah. I would say yes. I was going to say in, in some ways no, but I guess as a young kid, I was a little more self-aware where my parents, my dad, I love that man, you know, love him very much. And he gave me, he raised me to, he was very secure about me, but he also let me fall. 
He also let me fail. He gave me the freedom later on in my life to just fall down and get up or the freedom to scrape my face or hit my leg or get banged up in a way and figure it out. Right. And I think that freedom to figure things out led to me becoming an adult and actually being able to figure things out as an adult. And that led into football because eventually I was able to, I knew I had no, no one else to help me figure it out. I had to figure that those things out myself. And, um, what the self-awareness piece was because I had no choice but to lean on myself and figure it out. So that what what kind of gave me that uh motivational drive force. I hope I'm I have my um <laughs> some drilling and construction in the back. Nah, you, I, I don't even, not I don't even hear it. You good? But um okay, yeah. So yeah, man. What you know you you play football? What other did you have any other visions for yourself? Like, did you see yourself as just a, a college athlete, or was there was there more to you, or was that just kind of your your sole focus? Because I know you said you were just solely focused on football and being a beast. Well, it's funny because you know the other side of being different is that you're probably into weird or different things other than sports, right? So, yeah. um, football was my output. It was the most prolific output I had at the time, but I was definitely interested in other things and I, you know, video games and like different just physical activities, just being around my teammates or, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, that introvert, extrovert, yeah. you know, omnivert yeah. energy about me. So truth be told, I was never really completely into anything else other than football at the time, but I knew that I would eventually spark interest in other areas. And hence now in my life, I'm very interested in doing things that I've never done. Yeah. Um, so. so did you, did you ever prepare for the possibility that like football might not be your profession in college? Like, or was it, you know, NFL, NFL, NFL? Somewhat. And like I said, man, it's, how do I put it? And I don't agree with this mindset I have because I think it's just very, it's not a great mindset for someone who really wants to, go hard at something and be plan A. Yeah. Is that if you ever asked me what my dream was to do, I, I it wasn't NFL right away. And I know it sounds crazy, but I, my dream was always the person I want to be in 10 years. It wasn't what I was doing. It's just I always had a vision of who I kind of wanted to be, what energy about me, how did I want it to treat people? And I wanted to be that person. It wasn't a particular tangible thing like NFL or different titles. I just wanted to be that person's that person that I envisioned for myself. Yeah. So um, in college, it was, it was very, it was never NFL, NFL, NFL. It was just success, success, success. And whatever that looked like, that's what I was after. And at the moment I was playing a game of football and I was doing it well. So I had, I was granted the opportunity to play some time professionally, but it was really about just really trying to discover who I was and see what, if I can just push myself to limits that I've never been to before. And I, and I just said, I'm going to push myself and wherever the chips fall, they'll fall. But I'm yeah. going to commit myself to what I was doing at the time. I was mm-hmm. going to commit myself to the day in and day out process. When you, when you thought of success, did you think of like, you know, the house, the the car, the million dollars. What was your what was your viewpoint of success specifically? Recognition. People recognizing you for who you are and what you've done. Success for me has always been recognition where someone can see your name and 
and look at your name on a piece of paper or, or hear your name and associate that with something powerful, inspiring, someone who made an impact. Success for me was always about you, me being recognized as someone who did something for somebody or some people or, or represented something much bigger than yeah. themselves. It wasn't never about cars, the house and the cars. I want those things in my life. I would never say that I don't want money. Money is it's up there with air. We need it. Right. But mm-hmm. it was that was never what I was after. If if my life afforded me those things, great. If it didn't and I was happy and I had the things I wanted in my life, then I was happy. I was I wasn't raised with a lot of money. So my idea of, of success really wasn't have those tangible things and it still isn't. And even more now with what's going on right now in the world, success to me has solidified as something that's happiness, nothing really tangible. Yeah. I feel like your version of success is similar to mine. You know, when I think of success, I kind of think of what type of state of mind do I want to be in? Like, how do I want to be thinking? You know what I'm saying? Like, how far has my mind developed in a sense? Yeah. What I'm I'm able to create with my mind and and the the way I'm thinking and evidently the people around me in my environment. Doesn't that feel better thinking that way? It's more fulfilling to think about you pretty much mastering yourself. And I think even now yeah. studying mastery and being someone who's enthusiastic about self-mastery, you just even wanting to be the best version of yourself and understand how you're thinking, you know that with that skill set, you're going to get the house and the cars and the clothes and stuff like that. Because once you can master those things, you know what your value you're bringing to the table to any company, any team. That that's going to allow you to get the money, get the cars, yeah. get the house, right? So it's all about that skill set that will get you those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting a nice car, a nice house if it makes you happy. But learn the skill set that can get you those things is more important for me. I know like as kids and stuff, we're always like, you know, I want to win the lottery. Like I just want a million dollars right now. <clears throat> but it's like if we just get those million dollars, like our state of mind, it wasn't ready for it. We're not ready to handle that because we didn't really earn it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I think it's um there's something about just divine timing, you know? Yeah, some things take patience, some things take time. Everybody I would love to have a million dollars at, at, at twenty five years old. I think I know what to do better with it now, but I know that it, I don't I don't need it right now because I'm I'm not ready to build that skill set. I'm not ready to give that million dollars of value to somebody yet. So it's it's all right that I don't have it. <laughs> yeah. So your your senior year, that's when, you know, I just came to Rhode Island, a little old freshman. And um twenty yeah, twenty 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 one. Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Yeah. You guys are headaches, man. You guys are headaches. I enjoy playing I told with you, you guys. We got, a new, um, we got a new OC. I don't know if I told you. We got a new OC, new DC, new D-line coach, bro. It's different. It's different. Yeah. But, um, it's elevating. Yeah. It is motivating, though. It's, it's good for the change. And I'm glad I get to have it for my last year because, you know, how we've been in the past. But um, so what was what was the road like trying to play professional football? I know you mentioned playing in the AFL. Kind of talk about just trying to transition from, okay, I'm a college athlete. Now I'm trying to use my my talent to make some money. Yeah, um, transitioning out of college sports was frightening, and I keep using fear and those things like that. And I hope I'm not giving anyone an, a negative connotation about fear, but um, 
Some t- being trans- real. I think you're just being real. Yeah, for real. Some transitions in life are are scary, and one of the biggest ones that you're gonna deal with yourself, whether you do play professionally or not, is that transition. Even you know guys like Aaron and Murphy and Isaiah. Although that they may I have the great opportunity to play professionally, that transition is very fearful. And for me, that transition was very fearful. I was able to uh, no one really pushed me to do anything. I kind of just didn't want to be a kid who just went back home and went back to what he left. So yeah. uh, I started to train and I was driving out to Massachusetts to train for pro day. I actually went to a Dreamboat All-Star Game in Atlanta and I was able to meet an agent down there from playing down there and then, you know, p- performing well down there. I met my agent and then I started training for Pro Day. Um, and after I, t- I went to two Pro Days, two days apart. And it was probably a really idiotic opportunity, uh, idiotic thing to do to go to two yeah. Pro Days about, about two to two, three you days. Hungry. You, you was hungry, man. You I was. was. You was just looking for opportunity. I was. And I, and I wanted to see if you know, I, you know, top of the episode, I told you, you know, I don't ever believe I'm I'm a talented person and I still don't. But I yeah. wanted to see, like, you know, can this kid actually, you know, play professionally? Like, can I, can my slow, you know, my slow feet or my long arms, my awkward movements, all the things that coaches used to tell me that they didn't like about me. I had a coach in high school that told me this kid's a good high school football player. He can never play college. Yeah. Like I wanted to see what was everything about. So I went to two pro days and uh, performed okay in both. Um, obviously there's a few knocks on guys like me. I was, I guess, short for my position. I had very long arms, which afforded me some new opportunities. Um, and uh, I wasn't as fast as I should be. Hence why I'm here today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got the opportunity to uh, go to pro day and, and I went through that process, talked to some NFL teams. But ultimately I didn't get picked for the, NFL draft or got picked up. I think I should have um, based on the talent I played with later on. But um, eventually I went to a pro day or uh, AAF, the Alliance of American Football was starting at the time. They were starting up in that February of 2019. So I went to a um, a showcase out in, um, it was in, where was it? It was in Atlanta as well. The showcase was in Atlanta. And yeah. I went out there and then, you know, performed there. I was 260 pounds, performed really well. And then I got drafted into the AAF in the first round of their of their uh, uh, draft for their league into the San Diego fleet by the GM. And I got an opportunity to play my first taste of professional football. And, and it was a great opportunity. And uh, it was a great experience. And, and it was very humbling in a way. And it taught me so much about life and structure. Yeah. And that professional athletes is no different than anybody walking on the street. Just a certain level of expectations and, and performance that matters. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that I got that from prof- playing professionally. That, that that notion of performance matters. And I think I was grateful for that. But that transition was extremely tough to answer your question. I know that was a long nah, answer, but no, nah, you good. You good. That's that's a blessing though, to even to even say you you made it there and to even touch the pinnacle of professional football. Absolutely. That's awesome. And um I know it um just like while following you, I know that it didn't last as long as you as you wanted it to last. So my question, my next question is like, once you know reality set that you know I wasn't a football player anymore, 
How did that feel? I'm going to go back to the same common theme, and I hope the audience is not sick of me saying it, but it was, uh, it's frightening. Yeah. And, you know, I hope I can give some knowledge here because I've gone through yeah. this, and this is something I truly have gone through. So I really feel really confident about this is that that transition, I guess you call it a reality set in, didn't really, it took a while to set in. Um, Cause deep down, I know I can play football at a high level. Even when I got cut from San Diego um, and AAF, I knew I could make that team. Um, and I was going through some things mentally at the time and I, I didn't perform as, as well as I should have during that camp, but I knew I was able to make that team. I knew that I was, had more talent, hustle than a lot of kids on that team, but maybe those kids were very blessed and they needed that opportunity more than I did at that time. Maybe their situation, maybe that kid needed that for his family at that time. And I didn't need it at that time for that. So that reality set in and it was a huge, huge, Ivory, I can't emphasize enough and how much of an identity crisis and a shift that is. Um, A lot of former athletes can tell you that identity shift is the big yeah. part when you move back into I guess regular civilization is very very humbling and shifting that identity and not being represented or recognized as who you once were who you always been since even eight years old right yeah. now having to transition to be someone else was one of the biggest crises of my life I think I've went to some small down parts of being really depressed for times and feeling like I wasn't good enough because someone told me you're not good enough. Yeah. And uh it's just it 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 was a lot of changes happened in my life at that time and it's been a, it's been a huge reality shift but what I got when I really transitioned from the football was um truly transitioned was at the end of last year when I said, "You know what? I'm going to use this game of football the rest of my life. That I'm more passionate about the becoming and in the in the, the hustle and the day to day grind. There's no secret why I was so day to day and in the moment when I was a younger kid, because I'm more fascinated about the becoming and the hustle and the drive and the and the camaraderie and the team aspect and the hustle than I am about the actual performance. And what I learned about myself was that I want to be in settings that were inducive for performance, high performance, but I didn't want. I didn't need to be the person performing anymore. I understood what high performance is uh, as I transitioned into being a personal trainer, which is a whole nother story, right? But the game of football will be used for the rest of my life. I even treat my life the same way. I still go about my life the same way I would as an athlete. It's just that my transition's happening earlier than I expected. But man, it's it's a beautiful thing when you start to get more self-awareness. And I... And if football called me today and said, come play, I probably would go. And part of me won't. It's, just, it's all about what I, what I want the game of football for. Was it was yeah. using it as a clutch or something to uh, move forward? No, that's awesome. I feel like part of the reason why it was such a hard transition for you is because you put so much you know, heart into it and passion. It wasn't really talent-based. You know, It was all based off just – a lot of it was just based off emotion and just like your mindset and – you know, you can't teach those things. So um, I know now you have your own podcast. Um, I talked about that earlier. You're a personal trainer. You're a, um, uh, a mental health trainer first. I need to talk about that in your podcast. You said, uh, I tell all my clients that I'm a, I'm always mental first. I work the mental first, the mind first. And I, I really, I like how you said that, <laughs> yeah. man, because that, that's what drives the physical. 
So I have um yeah. I, I I picked out some of your podcast um topics. I kind of just want you to just give um you don't have to go into a whole spiel, but just a little bit about each each one. So first I have silencing the noise. So how do you yeah. silence the noise? What's your way of silencing the noise? And for people who don't really understand that concept of silencing the noise, it's basically just how do I find, you know, peace when I'm trying to accomplish something? Like how do I how do I kind of just stay stay in the moment and just stay focused when everybody around me and everything around me is chaotic? Yeah. Um in the noise. Um, that episode was very important to me that I put that out. And I actually took a two week break before putting that episode out because I really was going through a time. And it's funny because I don't I don't load podcasts up. I actually decided to do my podcast as I go so I can really feel my emotions and, and work with the transitions of my life. I don't want to be, I want to be authentic. So I want to give it as it, as it's happening. Um, and silence and the noise was something that referred yeah. to being able to have techniques and things in place that helps you stop people. We don't emphasize enough the importance of being still, and I didn't either until, you know, people who talked, I've talked to people in the past, talked to people in my life, I have great mentors, people I hang out with. It's just that stillness, like being truly still and how that helps you make the best decisions. And silence and the noise is really about being able to filter out what you're getting. Um, people are going to give you advice. People are going to give you ideas. And how are you able to filter out what you're getting to make the best decisions for you? If I can tell you, I can tell you ivory right now, you should get, you should cut your half your head off. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. If you, if you're someone who value my opinion, you would sit there and ponder like, wait, well, I wonder what I would look like with my half my head shaved. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. But then again, you have to judge me why I'm, why I'm even telling you that. Mm. So that's what the silence and the noise is being able to take the information you get from someone, filter out why they're saying it and then decide if it's the best thing for you. And I think, Sounds in the noise. It's a recent episode, so I could talk more about it. But no, that's real. No, no, you touched on that perfectly. You don't. That's that's perfect. That's it's definitely a skill. Yeah, it's not something you do. It's definitely a skill you continuously practice because there's a lot of freaking noise, and the most noise yeah. you'll probably feel is in your own head. Yeah, touched on that. Good. Um, another topic: ego, and um, you know, we can talk about the ego. Just let's talk about the ego right now. So, I look at the ego as something that. I didn't really know until recently, until I read a book about it. I forget the book title. I'm going to get back to you on that. But in the book, it basically talked about the ego as edging God out. Mm. And, you know, I guess when you do have a big ego, when you have an ego at all, it's like you're just so focused on, you know, me, I, like everything mm-hmm. is evolving around me. You know, everything, everybody should be, you know, looking at me, like life is centered around me. And, you know, before I read that book, like reading that book, I'm like, yo, this is me. Like, I totally think this way. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of hard to check yourself, but that book really made me check myself. So touch on ego a little bit about and like how you feel about ego. I think I spoke about ego and uh, I might have talked about ego and leadership as a sacrifice. I might have talked about it on that one. I'm not sure. But um, how do you check your yeah, ego? It's funny because we all have egos, yeah. <laughs> whether we think we know we do or not. But uh, checking your ego is more about forgiving yourself. And I'm, what I mean by that is understanding what your ego sounds like. Your ego has a voice. 
our ego has a voice, a persona, an energy about that ego. And once you're able to be self-aware, identified like, oh shit, I'm not acting as Ivory right now. I'm acting as Ivory's ego. Yeah. And really take a look at it like, oh shit, I'm having an ego moment. And what that does is the best way to check it is knowing how to identify it and when it's around. Uh, we can decrease how much our ego is, but we all have ego. In some ways, we need that ego in some ways to keep ourselves regulated. Yeah. Um, the way you check your ego is identifying it when it does come out and understanding what it sounds like, what's this energy like, because there's two sides of ego. Ego is I'm the shit. Everything is good with me. Look at me. Then the other side of ego is no one's going through the things I'm going through. No one knows what I'm going through. Mm. I'm in so much pain that no one ever feels this pain. That's yeah. the other side of ego. Wow. That's the that's ego as well. Yeah. Thinking that you are the only one dealing with something. Hmm. And I think that's the biggest way I've had to check my own ego and realizing that although I was different as a kid, there's a lot of kids that were different, right? So understanding that we're not here alone is the best way to check our ego. But we must, must, must understand what it sounds like, what it looks like, what it's energy like, or you'll never catch it in action. No, that's real, man. That's real. <laughs> that's that's funny you talk about that, man, because I'm I, I relate to you and the way you touch on topics very like sim- super similar, and that's crazy. I feel like you just you're reading my mind, but um, <laughs> <laughs> great minds thinking like that's that's not a bullshit term. Yeah. Um. So I have a lot of friends who are trying to you know that I'm trying to get on my wave and I'm trying to bring him up to my level. And, you know, a constant, a constant um, theme I, I'm hearing with people trying to accomplish great things and, you know, be successful is like, I don't know my why. Like, I just don't know my why. Like, and it's kind of weird because, you know, a lot of people watch TV and they see a successful person. It's like, oh, I wanted to get my, my mom out of her circumstances. You know, like I wanted to stop sleeping on the floor. Like I wanted to, you know, like, get out of my environment. But, you know, a lot of people also just don't have that. They have a hard time thinking of their why. And so what would you say for people who like can't really think of their why? You know, they know they want to be successful, but they just don't have that driving, that super number one driving factor in their life. Yeah, um, that was that's an interesting topic. Why? Because um, and it's I'm trying to get my thoughts together as far as why. Right. You spoke about oh, yeah, it. It's a, it's a it's a big question. Yeah, I don't it's a know tough one because that, so. I believe in the concept of 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 trauma, pain, right? Pain is a very powerful thing, right? Yeah. When someone says they want to get their mom out of the house, why? Did that pain of your mother being in that situation kill you inside so much that there is no other option that you have to get your mother out of the situation? That's a why. Not my mm-hmm. mother struggled. Yeah. I've seen her struggle. I'm part of a struggle. I've been through a struggle. So I should want that. That should be my why. I should want to get my mom out of that house. And the thing about it is when something's not painful enough, it is not your why. It is not your why. And I think learning what your why is, is not an immediate thing. Do you, do you want to mm-hmm. start there? Absolutely. But if you don't have it right away, Having a value system and understanding that pain is important will help you develop your why over time. My why, I, I come from struggling, my parents struggle, but my why did never solidified until I was really understood my why. My true why in my life mm. 
and whether it sounds selfish or not, because why it's, let me start by saying this, why is this a mo- the motivator to why you're doing something, the discipline behind it? The action is what you actually do. So your why can be selfish if it has to be. Doesn't mean it's all about you, but it can be personal. But your actions, what you take after that why are important. So my why particularly is fear of being no one. Fear of of looking at myself in 10 years and being unhappy with who I am or fear of not of not giving something to the world is my why. And that fear will lead me to yeah. meet people, build strong relationships, interact, give back to people. Right. So, so it's about the action. So your friends who's going through that and you want to give them, help them get more self-aware. What I would tell you is that you have to allow them to feel pain, be patient, but understand that you are fortunate to be able to have this much clarity at a young age and not everyone around you will have that clarity. So the best thing you can yeah. do for people around you in your circle is to provide them with space and good energy and good positivity and, and give them wisdom when you can. Don't force it on them. Allow them to unfold on themselves and they'll develop their why. But just understand that you're fortunate and you're blessed and you're put to where you are to lead those people, but you have to be patient with the people that you're trying to help out. Uh, you have to let them let them feel some pain. Let them yeah. go through things. So yeah. just the way you have to. Wow. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm going to end with these last two questions. I know we've been on here for a minute and I'm it's not going to keep too much longer. This is a so, um, podcast. We all it. <laughs> knowing what you know now, right? You know, your state of mind right now. Would you go back in time to change anything differently? Tough question. Um, yes. Okay. I would. And, uh, you know, a lot of cases it would be no, right? It's a lot of cases it would be no. And, um, yeah, I would go back and change a few things. And my parents, well, my dad did, he did a great job of raising me and my brother and, and my stepsister. But what also accompanied that was this overwhelming sense of independence. Um, it took me a long time to ask for help because I'm such a strong, independent person that I will, I will bleed before I ask for help because I could figure this out. And in many cases, that's a, that's helped me. But, what I would go back and change what I know now is allowing, it's not even about asking for help, but allowing people to help me. Mm. Uh, in the past, people have reached out to help me out with something or lend a hand or give me some type of energy or give me some type of support. And not that I denied it completely. I just didn't open the door for it to even into my life. It's almost like you so got to, um, it's like you got to know where your help is. Shit, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coach Rex, man, That's I don't know if you ever you played offense. So that you, you was, I don't know if you was around with that statement, but that statement was powerful, man. I said that because that's one of uh, Jose. Jose did a three part um, series on knowing where your help is. So you know what I'm saying. I, I did my little research. Ooh. You feel me? <laughs> you let me did, ask you this man. last question, Jose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you could prescribe someone a habit routine. Or anything of that nature, maybe like a you know like a, a mindset thing to do, but they have to do it for thirty days. What would you prescribe to someone who's trying to improve their life? What I pres- what would I prescribe to someone who's trying to improve their life? Like a task, like do this for thirty days, and this will help you, you know, improve your life. Hmm, that's a tough one. That's a tough yeah. one because there's, there's ones you could. <laughs> Um, truthfully, 
in, in my whole being, I believe that if someone who's really trying to improve their life is that for 30 days straight, if you can give, if you can try at least to give value to at least one person every day, 30 days, mm-hmm. that would improve your life. And, and let me tell you why I think that's important. Because everything in this world is about the value you can give someone. Like there's a quote saying that you will be paid equally to the problems you solve for people, right? So value mm-hmm. is important because if I can provide value to someone else's life continuously over and over for the rest of my life, I will always get the things I want in my own life because someone will always value my skill set and what I have. So for 30 days straight, the mm-hmm. prescription, the, the I guess the medicine I could prescribe is give value to something or to someone every day for 30 days straight and just see what you feel like after that. Because through our relationships with people, do we become who we really are? So uh, value, value is important. That's awesome, yo. That's that's a gem right there. I like that one. I didn't even think you were going to go down there, down that road. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a trick question. That's better, really than, that's better than I can imagine. But yeah, um, I'm not going to tell you to journal or anything yeah, like that. Nah, just, those things come with time. Yeah. Jose, um, Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. This is going to be a great episode. I hope the people who listen to this are able to listen to the whole hour in 10 minutes because it's worth every second of it. Um, real quick, drop your your ad name or in your podcast name, any information you want the audience to um, hear so they can reach out to you. Yeah, man. I'm, so I'm on all social media. I actually have transitioned into uh, just kind of posting energy, good energy. Um, I'm not a guru. I'm not a... Uh, expert or anything like that. So go ahead and follow me on Instagram at JMD. Uh, I don't even know my damn Instagram account. JMD.JR on Instagram. Uh, that's where I'm most active. That's usually my handle for everything. And my podcast name is The Unnatural Born Leader Podcast on Apple iTunes and recently also on Spotify. You can check me out there. And um, yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. I love talking about development and mastery and self-awareness is Thank you for even giving me the opportunity to come and talk to you. And I'm really happy, really proud that that you going through this path. And I and I think that we're put to here, we're put here on this earth to pay it forward. And I hope I was able to pay it forward to you because in this journey of you doing this podcast, you're gonna see one of your boys start yeah. one as well. It's gonna happen. So it's all about yes, the influence. So I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm excited that. Yeah. Uh, can't wait till this comes out and it can be aired and shared to the world, man. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. You have a blessed day. Stay safe during all this pandemic stuff, man. God bless. Thank you, Ivory. Have a good one, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.